given that the aim of this conference is to explore the contents and context of one of the great extant medieval compendia of traditional Irish learning, it seems fitting to devote some attention today to a particular text in that compendium that although not often cited as one of the most noteworthy items in its contents, in many ways forms a cornerstone of the wide-ranging textual culture that the Book of Iwania as a whole represents. And the work I have in mind is one with which many scholars of medieval Irish learning have at least a passing familiarity, namely the compilation of grammatical uh, material that's collectively for, referred to as Olegesanegas, a title that was rendered into English by George Calder in his pioneering 1917 edition of the text, which is listed under number one in your handout. Incidentally, there is a handout um, and it will be useful to you. Um, it was uh, rendered into English by Calder as the scholar's primer. Now, we should perhaps not be very surprised to find a copy of the Aragas in the book of Iwania, since the text seems to have been something of an essential ingredient for compilers of similar collections of traditional history and learning, of Shamachos, and of the relatively numerous complete or so-called complete witnesses of the Aragas that survived. They're listed under number two in your handout, and I'll come back to this list um, a couple of times in the course of this talk. Uh, we find copies, for example, in many other well-known compendia of the post-Norman post period, such as the Book of Ballymote, the Book of Lekin, and the Yellow Book of Lekin, um, a portion of National Library of Scotland Manuscript 1, known as John Beaton's Broad Book, and British Library Manuscript Edgerton 88. Of the extant copies of the more or less complete text, the Book of the Iwania Witness uh, may well be the oldest. Well, in this sense, the activities of medieval copyists and commentators, who were clearly left undaunted by the Aurigat's considerable length and textual complexity, do not square easily with, the assess with assessments of the work by scholars of the early 20th century. In his influential 1938 Rees Memorial Lecture on the Native Irish Grammarian, for example, which is cited under 3A in your handout, Osborne Bergen famously dismissed the Aurigat as little more than a confused mixture of fabulous tales about the formation of the Irish language, notes on alphabets, on vowels and consonants, and all through crazy etymologies. Its medieval compilers, he claimed, sought in vain to distinguish between 17 different cases of nouns to the utter neglect of the verbal system, an attempt, Bergen claimed, uh, declared, that led nowhere. Now, although there's fundamentally some truth in parts of this characterization, the notion that the Olegas represents little more than a kind of primitive, confused prototype of a more structured and sophisticated kind of grammatical learning that would emerge among the bardic schools of the early modern period has thankfully now largely given way to more nuanced assessments of the work. More recent, scholar, uh, more recent scholarship, uh, a few key examples of which are listed under number 3B in the handout, has made great strides in according the Olegat its rightful place, not only as a witness to the nature of literacy and education in the medieval period, but also to the development of grammatical learning and linguistic thought within a continuum that extends from the earlier to the later medieval period. And these studies have also established the significance of the compilation within the wider scheme of medieval textual culture and exegetical practice, highlighting, among other things, uh, its relationship to a number of Latin commentaries on Donatus' Ars Maior, composed by Irish scholars working on the continent during the 9th century. As Martin Irvine has put it in his seminal study of the subject, the medieval discipline of grammatica, to which these texts belong, represented, quote, the central node in a larger network, the gravitational center of several other institutions and practices, schools, libraries, scriptoria, commentaries, canonical texts, and language, end quote. 
And while it's, it's not my intention to explore such general themes in any great detail here, I think this concept of the oligopsis forming, forming a kind of gravitational center of learning and textual practice is nonetheless a kind of useful paradigm uh, within which to start thinking not only about the relationship of this individual text, the Book of Ionia as a whole, but also indeed about the relationship of that manuscript to a number of other surviving compendia of traditional learning. The oligopsis is a text um, that is on the one hand relatively well attested in our surviving sources, as I've already shown, um, but it's also a text for which the extant copies are quite varied in their form. And as I hope to show in this paper, the copy of the Aurigat uh, found in the Book of Iwani in particular contains a few interesting clues regarding what I've already alluded to as the very complex textual history of the grammatical work, the study of which is in some respects still very much an unfinished task. So it's significant in this regard that the copy of the Aurigat in the Book of Iwania seems not to have been used to any great extent by George Calder when he produced his edition of the full commentated text in 1917, although, as we'll see later, he was clearly aware of the manuscript's contents to some degree, uh, since he did make use of other texts from it that are thematically related to the Aurigats. Now, seeing as this year um, marks the centenary of Calder's long-standing and influential publication, it seems a good opportunity I think, to revisit the question of the Aurigat structure and transmission by considering um, some of the ways in, the book, in, uh, in which the Book of Iwania witness of this text compares to other surviving versions. And one of the first questions we might ask ourselves, of course, is why a text concerned with such seemingly mundane matters as vowels, consonants, declensions and the like might have been included at all in a manuscript that in many ways seems rather more concer concerned with affairs of such far-reaching importance as genealogy and world history. Well, aside from the rather general marks I've already made regarding the centrality of grammatical learning to the educational curriculum of the literate scholar, the inclusion of our text in the manuscript may be explained at least in part course by what's probably the Aurigat's best known feature, namely its lengthy pseudo-historical preface. Echoing the work of the synthetic historians uh, responsible for texts such as Yaurogovale Eren, which we've already heard there may once have been a copy in the Book of Iwania, um, the, the compilers of the Aurigat traced the origins of the Irish language to the Tower of Babel and constantly declared Irish to be a very deliberate concoction of all the best parts of every language on earth. At least one medieval commentator seems to have thought that this preface, or at least the version of it that now stands at the beginning of the Aurigat compilation in many surviving witnesses, was in fact a later addition to the whole. Thus he notes, um, and you can see this under number four in your handout, that of the four books or sections that comprise the text, what is first was added last, what was last was added first. His comment, and indeed uh, the very division of the work into four distinct books or parts, each attributed to a different legendary author, reflect what seems to have been a, a perceived need on the part of the Aurigat's medieval copyist to impose some kind of structure and order on its contents, much of which consists of largely Middle Irish glossing and commentary on what was probably originally um, a relatively short canonical text written during the Old Irish period. In many copies, a great deal of what probably began as interlinear or marginal glossing has subsequently been incorporated into the work as continuous text and thus separated from the original lemata that provided context for it. Hence this perceived need, we might surmise, for metatextual commentary on the structure of the compilation as a whole. But regardless of whether the pseudo-historical preface to the Aurigat or even parts of it was a later addition to the compilation or not, it's not difficult to see the fundamental significance of this material. This particular spin on the national origin legend 
constitutes a bold claim for identity and authenticity akin to that found in the genealogies and historical synchronisms that we find elsewhere in the manuscript. It's a reminder that language, as a marker of identity, forms an important part of any attempt to record for posterity one's place within the wider scheme of world history. Now, given the very propodeutic nature of the Olegep's contents, as its very title, meaning a primer, would suggest, it's perhaps a little surprising to find the compilation almost buried in the Book of Iwanya, near the end of the manuscript as a whole, or indeed the manuscript as we now have it, um, on folios 139 to 143. Um, nor has the scribe of this section, of Kushin, uh, gone to any great lengths to differentiate the opening of the text from the material surrounding it by way of, for example, striking incubates or spacing on the manuscript page. It's actually quite difficult in a way to work out exactly where the text is supposed to begin. It almost appears as though there's something missing from the beginning. The most elaborate section of the entire text occurs um, near what would at least appear to be the beginning of the work on folio 139R. Um, uh, this is the left-hand image on the PowerPoint slide here. Uh, or we have a couple of large colored but uh, otherwise not especially elaborate initials marking the opening of particular sections in the text, although seemingly the actual beginning of the text occurs just before this on the previous page. Uh, indeed, the scribe doesn't even ha seem to have been particularly concerned with one of the most salient features of several other witnesses of the Oregats, and one which sets it in comparison to many early Irish legal works, namely the differentiation of commentary in small script from so-called uh, canonical text written in large script, a feature which is um, particularly noticeable in the copy of the Odegat from the Book of Lekin, as you can see um, from the two images on the centre and the right hand of the PowerPoint slide here. Now, this use of larger script um, seemingly served to indicate, of course, that the scribe at least perceived those portions of the text uh, to belong to the original um, authoritative old Irish core of the work, although perceived is the operative word there, as it's been well established that such distinctions in script size form a relatively unreliable criterion for dating different strata of the text. However, it's important to note that the Aurogeps has not simply been copied at random into the end of the one manuscript, um, but it's situated within what might be termed a thematic cluster of largely grammatical and prosodic material, beginning um, around uh, folio 133b and continuing for about 10, another 10 folia. And the entry in the Royal Irish Academy catalogue accounts for the Book of Iwania for the very first item in this so-called uh, grammatical and prosodic cluster begins by citing a treatise on Irish prosody that starts on folio 133b of the manuscript. Um, however, this entry in fact covers several different texts, a point which is readily noted by one of the scribes of the manuscript itself, who um, in, inserted a rather faint interlinear note running into the margin of the column, um, which you can see there on the slide, um, in the red box, that reads, or the beginning of the primers. And the plural form, here suggests, of course, that what follows in this point in the manuscript was understood by at least one scribe to consist of a series of texts for which the contents were thought to be not just pedagogical in nature, but sort of introductory to their respective subject matters. Now, at this particular place in the manuscript, we can see there's some distinct similarities between parts of the grammatical and prosodic cluster in the book of Iwanya and a comparable group of texts in the book of Ballymote, which likewise contains uh, an important witness of the Odegat text. 
in my contribution to the study of the latter manuscript, which is of course the theme of the, the last conference in this series in 2015, I carried out kind of close analysis of the sequencing of this grammatical and prosodic material in the Ballymote manuscripts and provided as an appendix uh, to the written version of my paper, which is forthcoming in the proceedings of that conference, a sort of revised catalogue of the material in question. And the purpose of this was in part to provide kind of a more detailed breakdown of the original catalogue entry for this section of the Book of Ballymote, which identifies only eight separate texts in that part of the manuscript. Um, in my own account, I distinguished 31 separate sections or subsections, most of which are reproduced in the left-hand column of the table on a number five in your handout. And this is uh, kind of awkwardly spread over pages three and four, um, so I'm afraid you'll have to jump around a wee bit, um, but that's the, the sort of best way that I could arrange it in the handout. Um, in some cases, of course, it's difficult to determine whether these various sections were actually considered to be completely set distinct texts as they deal with very closely related subject matter, but they can be differentiated um, at least to an extent on the basis of features such as manuscript layout, the noting of incubates and explicates, etc. And obviously breaking down the material um, uh, in this way, in this more detailed way, gives us a much clearer picture of precisely how the two manuscripts correspond, the Iwanya and the Ballymote manuscripts, um, and therefore exactly what kind of, kinds of materials their respective compilers might have had available to them. And I also noted, incidentally, in that paper that many of these individual texts had been subject to editorial and scholarly attention, either not noted in the original catalogue description or carried out subsequent to its publication. So references to those sources are provided in short, term in the short form in the table itself and in full at the very end of your handout. So the correspondence between some of the grammatical material in the books of Ballymote and Iwanya respectively did not go altogether unnoticed by the original catalogers of the latter manuscript, but I've attempted here to present this correspondence in a slightly clearer way in the right-hand column of the table on your handout. And from this, you can see that the sequence of texts beginning on folio 133b of the book of Iwanya closely parallels that found in items 2 to 6 of the grammatical and prosodic cluster from the book of Ballymote. So this section includes two of the metrical tracts, first edited by Rudolf Thorneisen under the title of Mittel Irische Verslehren and dated by him to the late Old Irish or Middle Irish period. In other words, they were probably composed at around the same time as the Aurigat was receiving the bulk of its commentary and glossing. The section common to both manuscripts also includes a tract on satire and a copy of the so-called Lover Olivan, uh, a text that's been occasionally dismissed as a kind of mere appendage uh, to Aurigat Negus and which is often conflated with it in manuscript uh, catalogue descriptions. Um, however, the, the 2000, in the 2009 article uh, cited in the list at the end of your handout, uh, Roshi McLaughlin has more recently characterised in Lever Olivan as a, a kind of distinct tract containing alternative versions of traditions found in the Aurigat, including the doctrine on the invention of the alphabets of Irish, Hebrew, Greek and Latin. The only other text that the Ballymote and Iwanya manuscripts have in common within this thematic cluster is Aurigat Nanegas. In the Book of Iwanya, this follows directly on from the aforementioned copy of Inlever Olivan. In the Book of Ballymote, on the other hand, we have a number of additional texts dealing with various related topics, such as um, a copy of uh, Inlever Ogum, the Book of Ogums, which illustrates over a hundred varieties of Ogham alphabets and thus forms some of the most impressive pages in the Book of Ballymote. And you can see here the end of that text followed by the very uh, striking incipit to the, the copy of Albegeptenegas in the Book of Ballymote, just for comparison with a comparatively understated version in the Book of Iwania. 
the Book of Agumz has in, in many ways come to be closely associated with the Olagets, not only because of its uh, kindred subject matter, i.e. deals with alphabets, um, but also because it was included by Calder in his 1917 edition of the Olagets. It's worth noting, though, um, that none of this material is found in the section preceding the copy of the Olagets in the Book of Iwania. It seemingly was, in fact, transmitted as a separate text. Now, this example illustrates, I think, how our understanding of what actually constitutes the text Olegat Nenegus has in many ways been somewhat conditioned by the form of the compilation as it appears in Calder's edition. Um, Calder, in fact, edited two different recensions of the Olegats, which he termed the short text and the long text, respectively. And you can see the witnesses that he used for these recensions um, in the right-hand column under number two in your handout. So sorry to make you flip back again. Um, where they're juxtaposed with a more recent and comprehensive list of Olegat's witnesses compiled by Anders Alkvist. However, Calder only provided a translation for his edition of the short text recension, which was based principally on the closely related versions of the Olegat's found in the Book of Balimot and the Book of Lekin. So it was surely not his intention for it to be so. The provision of a translation for the shorter recension alone has led some modern scholarship on the text place rather more emphasis on the contents as they appear in manuscripts that contain the short text recension, despite the fact that the long text contains a number of superior readings, as well as much additional and sometimes quite interesting glossing and commentary. Now, this problem was somewhat anticipated by Rudolf Thorneisen, who in an important review of Calder's edition, published a decade after its appearance, that's listed under number six in, on the top of page five in your handout. Um, Thorneisen sought to clarify some of the structural features of the Olegat compilation that were a bit obscured by the layout of Calder's edition. Thorneisen noted, for example, that Calder's edited text in fact consisted of 12 separate tracts, not all of which are transmitted in every surviving manuscript witness. So, for example, um, the, the so-called long text edited by Calder with no accompanying translation does not include a series of prose and verse compositions on stylistic faults and correctives that's found near the end of his short text version. So these texts can correspond to items 23 to 26 in the revised catalogue of the Book of Ballymote, given on page 4 in your handout. Nor does Calder's long text include an abbreviated and rather obscure tract that might be somewhat simplistically described as dealing with the subject of analysis. That's item 22 in your catalogue, which I've discussed um, in more detail in a forthcoming article in the catalogue bibliography, which is again at the end of your handout. Um, and basically what I argued there was that this, is, this, this particular tract was uh, uh, separated, uh, circulated separately from um, the Alregat in an expanded form. Um, so as we've seen already, there are some striking similarities between the content and ordering of some of the grammatical and prosodic texts in the Book of Iwania and the Book of Balimot, and one might thus expect something similar, perhaps, with regard to the two witnesses of Olegat Nenegus itself that are found in these manuscripts. However, um, the Book of Iwania copy of the Olegat, in fact, omits much of the material appended to the end of the text in the Book of Ballymote and related copies. More specifically, I'm referring to items 20 to 26 in the catalogue, all of which are included by Calder as part of his edition of the short text recension. That these seven items were somehow considered by some uh, medieval copies to be in some way supplementary to the Olegat text itself, however, is indicated by a metatextual comment um, included in several copies of the text at precisely the point corresponding to that where the Book of Iwania version breaks off, to the effect that this was where the body, the cop of the primer, had come to an end. It's perhaps worth noting, though, that this comment doesn't occur in the Iwania copy itself. 
But perhaps it was because of these rather significant differences in the contents of the Book of Iwanya, copy of the Aurigeptic Calder, and um, seems to have made only limited use of this particular witness for his edition of the short or long recensions of the text. In other words, it kind of stands out on its own in relation to the other manuscript witnesses that he appears to have had available to him. Now, clearly he was familiar with the grammatical and prosodic material in the Book of Iwanya, but he seems to have drawn on this manuscript principally for its copy of a text on verse faults and correctives, commonly referred to as the Treokul tract, which follows immediately on from the Aragept itself. And I think you'll hear more about the details of that particular text in the lecture by Liam Branagh uh, later this afternoon, so I won't go into great detail on it here. But it's worth noting that Calder only, only included the Treokul tract as a kind of appendix to his edition of the Aragept and gave no clear indication that the tract is in the Iwanya manuscript. Um, immediately juxtaposed with a copy of the Aragept itself, albeit a, com a comparatively abbreviated version of it. It's also worth pointing out that while um, much of the grammatical and prosodic material found um, after the Aragept in the Book of Malimot does not occur in the uh, Iwanya copy, um, the compiler of the latter text did see fit to finish off his grammatical and prosodic cluster with a didactic poem of some 41 quatrains on various grammatical rules, much of which echo the contents of the, um, the, the Aurigept itself, and attributed to the 14th century poet Gofrifion Oldali. So though the compilers of these two manuscripts, namely the Book of Iwanya and the Book of Balimot, may have had very similar interests or intentions in gathering together and arranging these sections of their respective manuscripts, and perhaps even drew on the same source for at least some of their material, um, as the texts um, that form items two to six in your table would seem to, to suggest, uh, their compilations are certainly not identical in every way. As regards the reasons for this, we can of course only speculate, um, but they may include factors such as the availability of material or indeed the personal tastes or preferences of the compilers themselves. Uh, the particular structural features of the book of Iwanya Witness of the Aragept led Anders Alkvist in his subsequent and more comprehensive uh, study of the text manuscript transmission, which is cited again back under number two in your handout. This, these factors led him to assign the book of Iwanya copy to a third recension, distinct from the two identified by Calder. In other words, the short and the long texts. Alphys designated this third recension um, group A and contrasted this with what he called the group B witnesses, which correspond to Calder's short text, and the group C ones, which correspond to Calder's so-called long text. And I've tabulated these under number two in your handout in order to clarify the correspondence and terminology. Uh, significantly, Alphys' study also drew on a, a number of witnesses that were seemingly unknown to Calder including a copy in TCD uh, manuscript E33, or 1432, the opening of which you can see on the left-hand side of the PowerPoint side here. Um, this is a vellum manuscript dated to the 15th and 16th centuries. This Alkvist placed alongside the Book of Iwanya copy in his so-called Group A, which he characterized as the shortest class of Aldegaf manuscripts, of which M, in other words, the Book of Iwanya, is probably the older. Alkvist justified his decision not to include these two witnesses in Calder's short text family on several grounds. For one thing, um, he noted that they both omitted a portion of the opening section of the text, consisting of the first 78 lines in Calder's edition, or part of the pseudo-historical preface. He also observed that they share a number of features within the commentary itself, such as a recognizably old Irish passive paradigm of the verb karid, love, 
as well as a series of Latin quotations on natural and artificial gender in nouns that are not found in the short text witnesses, but do occur in the principal witnesses to Calder's long text version, namely the Yellow Book of Lekin and British Library Edgerton 88. And I'll come back to the relationship between these two witnesses and the Book of Yuan in a moment. And perhaps the most significant distinguishing feature of the two Group A copies, however, is the fact that at the, at the end of the Olegep text proper, um, these, the, sorry, the end of the Olegep text proper in these witnesses um, does not, as we've seen, include the, the series of tracts found at the end of the short text recension, namely items 20 to 26 in the catalogue on your handout. In the Book of Iwanya, this material has been omitted altogether, whereas in the TCD 1432 witness, the various tracts on declension and analysis have been added by a different scribe at a later point in the manuscript, following a cluster of mostly poetical legal material. But this, combined with the fact that the TCD witness is surrounded by copious interlinear and marginal glossing and commentary, to, as you can sort of see on the, uh, a little bit at the top there and on the edges of the side there, the left-hand image, um, derived, uh, this commentary is derived from both the group C and groups B and C versions of the text, this led Alquist to conclude that somewhere along the line, different versions of the text happened to be found in one place and conflated versions produced. In general terms, though, what we can conclude from all this is that the group A witnesses of, the book, of which the Book of Iwania copy is one represent a version of the text that's in some ways more similar to Calder's long text recension than to the short text one represented by, for example, the Book of Ballymote, despite the fact that it is, as Anders put it, the shortest class of Aldergift witnesses. This textual relationship is also somewhat noteworthy, I suppose, given that there are indications that the scribe of the grammatical and prosodic section of the Book of Iwania in which the Aldergift is situated may have drawn on material also available to the Ballymote compilers, as we've seen in items two to six of your table. So seemingly he's getting chunks of material from different places. Interestingly, there's also some possible scribal evidence for a connection between Alphys to Group A witnesses, i.e. the book of Iwanya copy and TCD manuscript 1432. In a colophon uh, from the TCD 1432 copy, this is the right-hand image here on the PowerPoint, um, it's, it's stated that the text was written by a certain Diarmuid Olduogon uh, for one William O. Langshiv. Although the identification of either of these figures is unclear to me, it's of course possible that there's a connection between the surname of the former and the designation of the Book of Iwania in a number of 17th century sources as the Yaur i Huron, a point meticulously documented by Nolik Omorilje in his contribution to volume 23 of Eggsha and indeed uh, here for his paper at this conference yesterday. Um, in considering the basis for this designation, Omorilya has observed that the Book of Iwanya does contain some half dozen items which have, in one place or another, been attributed to the noted Iwanya poet, historian Sean Moore Oldogon, who died in 1372. And while he sounds a prudent note of caution that the Book of Iwanya is hardly unique as a repository of Oldogon's work, he also observes that the manuscript as we now possess it is but a fraction of its former size, something that we have come up a number of times in the last uh, couple of days with as much as 60% uh, of its folios seemingly having been lost over the centuries. So it's within the realm of speculation, therefore, that the amount contributed to the manuscript by Sean O'Dogon himself may have once been more, far more significant, or that the designation of the codex as the Lyaur i Hogan may have um, derived from the name of one of the scribes to whom belongs one of the manuscript's unidentified hands. 
Beyond um, the identity of their surnames and the similar structure of the oligarch witnesses copied by them, it's of course hardly any less speculative to posit a relationship between the Oduogon associated with the Book of Iwan, be it Sean Moore or some other, and the unidentified Dirmed Oduogon mentioned in the colophon to the very similar oligarch witness in TCD manuscript 1432 or E33. It's perhaps worth noting, however, that the TCD copy is not the only extant witness of Olegeth material to bear some connection to the figure of Sean Oduogon. Um, we might consider, for example, the fact that the earliest surviving fragment of grammatical material associated with Olegeth Menegas, and indeed probably the only witness that dates to an, a period earlier than the Book of Iwanya itself, is a single folio in National Library of Ireland manuscript G2, dated to circa 1345. And G2 is, together with National Library of Ireland manuscript G3, also known as the Okeanon Miscellany. We've heard um, a couple of references to that manuscript already. Um, by virtue of its association with its principal scribe uh, of Okeanon, whose death at Liscool County Fermanagh is recorded in the Annals of the Four Masters under the year 1373. The miscellany contains a number of items of a grammatical nature, and two colophons written by Ov suggest that he copied at least some of the text in the compilation for his own use. Uh, significantly, folio 11 of G2 contains a short tract on the declension of the word far, man, which you can see here on the um, column B of folio 11R, continuing on to the verso of the folio. These are the uh, 17 cases of nouns that Bergen uh, referred to. Um, this has survived in considerably expanded form. In other words, um, there are paradigms for uh, masculine, uh, feminine, feminine and neuter nouns um, in the, both the main body of the Olegev text in some witnesses, as well as in separate tracts um, appended to it in others, as for example, items 20 and 21 in your revised catalogue of the Book of Ballymoat. At the end of folio 11 in G2, Olive has written a note declaring that he's copied the preceding material for his own use. Elsewhere in the same manuscript, namely on folio 8R of G2, he states, moreover, uh, that he's drawn some of his material from the book of his great teacher, Laura Igde Wor Sean O Thurgon. We thus have a couple of indications here, both of a kind of textual and a scribal nature, that there may be some connection between our two earliest surviving witnesses of Olegev material, namely the Okeanon Miscellany and the Book of Iwanya. I mean, we might well wonder um, whether the, the connections were in there. And drawing on that idea, what I'd like to offer by way of conclusion is kind of one further small and admittedly rather um, indirect piece of evidence for a connection uh, between these two manuscripts. So uh, this note um, that of Okeanon um, has written at saying that um, He's drawn on the book of his teacher, Sean Othulgan, um, along with the tentative dating of the G2, G3 compilation to the first half of the 14th century, i.e. some 30 years before Alv's death, may indicate, these two factors may indicate that Alv was uh, perhaps a fairly young man when he was working on it. And indeed, James Carney, in his study of the compendium, uh, which is listed as the first item under number eight in your handout, has identified several signs of what he referred to as a kind of juvenile immaturity or the experimental playfulness of the student in portions of the manuscript that were written by Alv. And in an article I published recently and beginning of last year, which is also listed under eight in your handout, I discussed one particular piece of evidence for this kind of, we call it juvenile immaturity on Alv's part, namely a cipher that was copied by him into the margin of the fol of folio 16R of the G3 manuscript. 
this, so it's very faint. Um, he's, he's actually written, uh, we're looking at the image on the right-hand side. It's very faint, but um, you can see it. He's written two different ciphers in there, and then the red box is the one I am talking about. This cipher complete, uh, presents the quite simple and relatively well-known code of replacing vowels with various numbers of dots. But interestingly, on the preceding page, namely folio 15b of G3, the left-hand image on the PowerPoint here, uh, a certain Gila Paulrig, uh, perhaps a fellow student of Ald, has tested the cipher by using it to write a stanza the, of a poem and has scribbled a note uh, imploring Ald himself not to reveal its meaning. Now, in light of the fact that the Okeanon Miscellany and its principal scribe are associated with both the earliest uh, extant fragment of Oligate material, namely the declensional table on folio 11 of G2, as well as with the school of Sean O'Zulgon, it may be noteworthy, I think, that the same quatrain and cipher that we find in the G3 manuscript has been transmitted in rather corrupt form in two uh, other complete copies of Oligate Menegas, namely the Yellow Book of Lekin, as you can see it here on the PowerPoint, and British Library manuscript Edgerton 88, which together formed the basis for Calder's untranslated edition of the Autogets long text. And as far as I know, um, this, this cipher isn't found anywhere else. It doesn't occur in the short text uh, witnesses, for example. As I mentioned earlier, um, these two witnesses, namely the Yellow Book of Lekin and Edgerton 88, share a number of features in common with the Book of Iwanya copy of the Autogets, such as their inclusion of a series of Latin quotations on natural and artificial gender and nouns that are not found in the short text, or in other words, the Book of Valiamote Dissension. However, the YBL and Edgerton 88 witnesses were both copied some three centuries after the Okeanon miscellany, probably within a year of each other in the late 1560s, as has been suggested by William O'Sullivan, a point which may explain the very corrupt form in which the quatrain and cipher has been um, preserved in them. In other words, it's uh, we can surmise that a, a number of intermediary copies once existed but have simply not stood the test of time and it's very difficult uh, i suppose to, to copy these dots uh, correctly over from one copy to another on the whole though um the preservation of this material in these later copies of the origets suggests two things first it indicates that some bits of commentary may have been added to the Olegets at a relatively late stage in its transmission, i.e. after the copying of the earliest extant witnesses, if we're to believe that Avo Kionon's scribblings in the margins of G3 are the point of origin for the cipher. Second, it allows us to add one further, albeit very small, piece of evidence to the features I've outlined already, which suggests a connection uh, between the very late copies of the Autogets that form the basis for Calder's long text recension and the work of scholars and scribes in some way connected to the school of Sean O'Zulgon. In other words, we might ask ourselves whether the Book of Iwanya witness of the Autogets, or the Book of O'Zulgon witness of the Autogets, as it may be, um, could in some way be, I suppose, orbiting around a kind of gravitational center of scribal activity that eventually would give rise, albeit at some chronological remove, to a number of the much later surviving witnesses of Oligat Venegas, um, including these uh, YBL, Edgerton 88, and TCD 1432, etc. Um, perhaps the evidence I've outlined here is too tenuous to draw, uh, to allow us to draw any certain conclusions, but I think it's very, they offer kind of tantalizing suggestion that these might be questions worth pursuing in more detail. So there's no doubt um, a lot more that could be said about the content and structure of the Book of Iwanya Witness of Arlegas Menegas, but I hope here to have pointed up just a few aspects of this particular copy of the text, which differs in some quite significant ways from the two versions of the compilation edited by George Calder now 100 years ago. A closer study of this witness would no doubt shed some interesting light 
on the development and transmission of the text as a whole, both in terms of its accretive commentary and in terms of how the contents of the grammatical text itself uh, were perceived by its medieval compilers. It's clear, however, that a study of uh, this individual text, or really the compilation of texts as we should really see it, can also cast some important light on the relationship between the Book of Iwanya as a whole and the scribal activity that underlies a number of other extant manuscripts of the post-Norman period. Thank you.